0: 1 Peter 1, verses 10 through 12. And remember, as we read here, we're reading God's Word. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. That's God's Word. You can be seated. You bet.
1: Like Luke said, my name's Josh. I lead students here. I um, have for a year and a half or so. Um, just uh, This is my fifth time, I think, preaching. And Luke, when I first started meeting with Luke and he was trying to... Uh, improved me as a preacher. He sent me this thing and said, The first thousand sermons are horrible. I'm on number five. <laughs> Bear with me. And as Luke was talking, Luke does a lot of stuff to develop men in this church. So take advantage of that, men. Get involved, get in the 333, meet with some other men. Luke is pouring his heart and soul into men because that's who leads the church and that's who's going to make a difference. So, if you don't know that about him, get to know him, get to know his staff. We love investing in guys here. So with that being said, let's get into this. Um, as I've prepared this sermon, it's a sermon about the Bible. So I'm preaching a sermon about the Bible from the Bible. And I, the question came to me, what exactly about the Christian life is Satan trying to get us off base with? So some might say, I don't want uh, my son to be on crack. Yes, that's a, that's a biggie. We don't want that. We don't want our uh, unmarried uh, sons and daughters impregnated. Okay, a biggie. But as I think about what God wants me to do with my life and what Satan at the same time is trying to attack in my life and in my wife's life and in my son's life, Watch this video. I just want you to think as Satan gets into your life, what is he after? If I was the devil.
2: Tell you what I'd do. I would try to deceive you and get you into error. I would get you off base. And if you still stayed true, I would try to disqualify you. I would get you immoral. I would get you where no one would believe what came out of your mouth. I would make you a tabloid where nobody believed you. I would remove your confidence where you were afraid to speak because your life was such a shambles. I would get you in sin. I would prowl like a roaring lion to devour you morally. And if I couldn't do that, I would try to make you successful. And I would distract you if I couldn't disqualify you i would get you busy i would get you so distracted and disattracted from the gospel that no longer would your prayers be about holiness and souls they would only be about the bottom line in your business i would get you material and no longer concerned about the spiritual nature of life if i couldn't do that i would divide you if I couldn't divide you, I've almost lost you. You know what I'd do then? I would discourage you. And then if I couldn't discourage you, I'd try to be deaf. I would kill you. I would try
1: my best. Now. That's what I would do to take you out. Question, what is Satan doing right now? What is Satan doing tomorrow morning what is Satan busy with throughout the week in each of our lives? That preacher said he wants to get us distracted, get us busy, get us successful, get us materialistic, get us off base. Those are just the end result. The goal of Satan is to get us away from our Bible. Period. Period. Get us out of this thing. So those of us who don't know Jesus yet, there's some of us in the room who don't know Jesus, He never wants you to get the reality of what this book is saying. And for those of us who trust Jesus, cherish Jesus, He wants this to just sit on your bookshelf collecting dust. That's a pretty good goal. That's what He's after. So today I want to tackle the question, What the heck is the Bible about? Two questions I want to get after. Can I trust this thing? And what's it say? I think that's what Peter's after. So if you're in Peter, let's just skim through this real quick. I want to read it, talk about an assumption I think Peter's making, and then get into what the passage is really about. So First Peter, he's saying concerning this salvation, what salvation Luke talked about last week, that we're guarded by Jesus, that we're kept forever, that it's imperishable, undefiled. It's a perfect inheritance we have with Jesus. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he preached the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. What the heck is Peter talking about? Peter's talking about prophets, a Spirit of Christ, some some future happenings of sufferings and glories. What is Peter talking about? Peter is simply giving the synopsis of the Bible. And he's doing it pretty quickly, and I think he assumes a lot, rightfully so. So I don't want to come up here and assume that when I open this thing, all of you guys are on board with me. I don't want to get up here and preach from Peter, knowing that there's some of you who don't feel the same way about the scriptures that Peter does. So the first question I want to get after is simple. Can we trust this thing here? Can I trust this thing that sits on my dinner table? Can you trust what's in your lap now? Can we answer that? Let's do this. So the first thing we really need to think about is what is the Bible specifically about? Lots of people have lots of answers about this thing. Lots of people are confident that they know what this book is trying to say. What is the Bible basically about? You talk to people out on the street... And most people would say, yeah, it's probably a good religious book. It probably has some good moral stories. I, sh- I could probably read it and gain some stuff from it. But I could gain just as much from any of the books that I read. Is it a book written by men talking about spiritual things? Is it a history book? Is it trying to tell a story? Is it a science book? This is what I get a lot, teaching math. People... One of the first things they say to me, how can you believe the Bible? It's so wrong on so many things. Like what? Well, it doesn't even talk about evolution. The Bible's not a science book. It's not trying to answer all the whys of the universe. It's not concerned with stars and supernovas and evolution and species and genetic breakdowns and this and that and the other. God didn't write us a science book. Praise the Lord. How born. God wrote us a book about himself. And here's what he says about himself. We've got a passage here in the next book of Peter. This is what the Bible claims to be. We have something more sure. The prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts knowing this first of all. That no prophecy, same prophecy he's talking about here in our passage, was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Here's what the Bible claims to be. And if you've never heard this, I praise God that you hear it. It is a book written by God through men about himself. Period. It's not here to get us thinking about spiritual things, and mysticism. It's God using human hands to write the story about himself. Praise God he did. He did not have to give us this. He could have left us wandering in the dark trying to figure this out on our own. And yet he gave us his word. The question that always comes up is, yeah, I bet most of it's true, but the fact is it's been written down. This is what my grandpa used to say. By humans, and then other humans copied it wrong, and then those humans copied those copies wrong, and then they copied that copy wrong, and what you have in front of you is maybe 5% truth, 95% fairy tale, and error. Is that what I believe? How did we get the Bible from God's mind to our hands here? So, real quick, some of you are going to be like, dude, I hate school. This feels like school. But I feel like. As a people living in a world that is constantly putting the truth of God aside. How many of you guys deal with people who who don't take any of this to be true? I deal with them all the time. And I just want to give you a a few tools talking about where we got this Bible. And you're not going to go to Joe in Cubicle 4D tomorrow and say, Hey Joe, this is how we got the Bible. Praise God, where do I get saved? Let's go to church together. I've been dealing with the same guy via email, Aubrey's old boss from Texas, for three years now. Every month, month and a half, he sends me an email from CNN or something. Neanderthal really is the missing link in whatever chain of evolution. And I read it, and I find stuff to highlight, and I put in the email, and then I send my response. And at the end, I always say, by the way, you're going to be dead soon. What do you think about that? Where's your answer? So people want answers. They don't like our answers. But it's our job to come with some sort of answer. Amen? So here's how we got the Bible. First step in this chain. Revelation. God's word. God has a plan from before time. Those of you who have never heard that. Before anything existed, God conjured up this story of humanity, salvation, and glory forever in his mind. And he said, how am I going to get this to humans? And this is what it says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 10. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us, the apostles and prophets, through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So as you read Peter and he kind of flies through the idea of the Bible, the first link in the chain that we know what we have is real and we can trust it and we can tell people about it and we can be bold about it is that God's word started in his mind and he passed it to a prophet's mind. Second link. Inspiration. So how do we know God's word didn't get mumbled in the process? So my morning quiet times are in Ezekiel right now. I'm like, what the heck is that? It's a book. It's a prophet, but Ezekiel. Every chapter starts, and the word of the Lord came to me, and then he writes, "And the word of the Lord came to me." God speaks to these men; they know it's from God, and they write it down. And here's what Second Timothy says about what they actually write down: All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All scripture is breathed out. Scripture is actually what's in front of us, and it's breathed out by God. There was no mistake from God's mind to the human author's hands. So we're good so far. God came up with it, He gave it to a select few, they wrote it down, and we're still perfectly 100% air proof. True. Next link Illumination. Now it's on paper. Oh, no, we're going to give it to humans. What in the world are they going to do with it? First John 4, 5 through 6. This is John talking to church, telling them how they discern air from truth. air from truth. And his, I love his answer. They're from the world. Paul says another verse. Natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit. Meaning, if you don't know Christ, this thing doesn't make sense. And John says, they are from the world, false teachers. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth, and we know the spirit of error. So God says that same spirit that took my words and put it in the prophet, put it on the hand, now comes up through the pages, and as we read, it makes sense. And not only does it make sense, it's true. And we feel it to be true deep down in our souls because the Spirit says so. That's illumination. Next link. We've got a bunch of people who understand the Bible now. They read it and they say, this is truly from God. What's the next step we get to? Canonicity. How many you heard that word, canonicity? If you haven't, it's fine. Nope. It's a measuring rod. Canon means measuring rod. So as we started to get Scripture... And as we started to get other scriptures, like the Da Vinci Code movie series, it's essentially about the other gospels that we've kept hidden, we kept them out, there's really other gospels that say other things, the church corrupted it, and now we all believe a lie. Dan Brown has the truth, all you guys are stupid, and you believe a lie. How do we know what we put together as this Bible is truly the word of God? God's church simply recognizes what's already Scripture in God's eyes. And here's how they do it. Was it written by a prophet of God? So those of you who take notes, you can write this down. If you've got some lawyer friend who wants to argue with, this is how you walk through Scripture. Was it a prophet of God? Ezekiel, prophet of God. Jeremiah was called by God. Moses, called by God. Went up to the mountain with God. These men were with God, and God spoke to them directly. All the apostles walked with Jesus. Even Paul, who didn't walk with him, met him face to face in his conversion. These are prophets, men who have been with God. Did the writer have the credentials from God? So was he really a writing prophet? Was he supposed to be speaking on behalf of God? Me, I don't get to write scripture. I have no credentials saying that what I have to say is God breathed through me. But God has given all these men throughout time credentials. This man is from me. This is the most basic one. Did it tell the truth about God, man, sin, etc.? That's easy. Does it tell the truth? Does it say God is good, glorious, and holy? Man is sinful, unable to ever meet God's requirements. If that's what it said, and if it pointed to Jesus, then it's true. And here's the one that's true in my life. It's true in my wife's life. Did it possess the life-transforming power of God? Raise your hand if you just don't really care if the bible came about this way or not you can i had to do some research raise your hand if like this isn't that big a deal to you you've never had to go seek out and google is the bible really true where did the bible anybody or am i the only one who doesn't need that much evidence a few of us i don't my wife doesn't care i was like hey babe can i talk to you about the sermon i don't really care yeah i'm making raisin bread but it's how we got the bible the Bible's true i don't need any more proof So I think most of us really don't need a ton of proof. Most of us don't have the lawyer defense mechanism in our brain that has to fight everything and be proved every point, every dotted I and cross T. But lots of us have this in our life to be true. It possesses life-transforming power of God. We read it, and it transforms us from the inside. And we become new creations. And we're not as anxious as we used to be we're not as discouraged as we used to be. And we're more gentle than we used to be. That's my big thing. I am rough around the edges. And as I read God's word, he is breaking me down and making me more and more gentle. He is transforming me. Was it received or accepted by the people of God for which it was originally written? So that's an easy question. When Moses wrote to the Jews, did the Jews take Moses' word and really believe it? Yes. They put his word inside their temple, and that was their standard. And when the kings of Israel came, their first job, if you read back in Deuteronomy, was to get the law of Moses out and write it down word for word for word. They accepted Moses to be true. They accepted Ezekiel to be true. They accepted Malachi to be true. And they collected them throughout the process. And by 400 years before Jesus, the Old Testament was complete. Genesis to Malachi, we agreed that this was really the Word of God. I guess the sermon? New Testament. My bad, Thomas. It was a little trickier, and I'll be real quick in this. Just so you have, I had a lady come up to me. Can you give me as many books as you have on this topic? Wow, that's going to be a boring read. It's for my friend I've been talking with about this forever. She doesn't believe that the Bible is truly from God. Okay, here's what I have. D-d-d-d-d. Here's how the New Testament is formed. Same way. Passed around a letter. They copied it. Got another letter. Passed it around. Passed it around. Passed it around. Fast forward to 300 or so, 400 or so. And they've got all these letters that the church agrees this is truly of God. And this other stuff that claims to be that just doesn't meet the criteria. And the church comes together and says, we need a set canon, a set standard, so all these fools who keep writing can stop. And they closed it, and they said, this is how God has spoken, period. Genesis to Revelation, and you have your Bible in front of you. Is that trustworthy? I think so. God's mind, Holy Spirit, prophet's hand, Holy Spirit, my mind, Holy Spirit, group of people coming together and now we have this thing in front of us that's really the Word of God. And it's changed my heart and it changed my mind. Here's why I don't get up every morning to read this thing. Because I believe it to be true. That alone is not going to get you craving more of this. I've got a calculus book That is true from the beginning to the end this thick it's the most glorious calculus book ever written james stewart it's on its 12th edition it's the book i used to learn calculus when i was in high school went to college that's the one the college professors are using i use it now in my classroom it's like 42 cents on amazon because it's so stinking old but it's a perfect book no errors oh they love calculus? Nobody? Oh. Starts off right. It gives a few picture examples. Then it gets into application. You kind of ease into it. And then it ends with some killer word problems. And you're like, oh. Gosh. I love it. It's true. But I don't love it like I love this thing. Because the story in this book captivated my heart when I turned 18. And it recaptured my heart when i was 22 and i went off to college and i was all alone my friends were gone i was the distractions were gone i said what do i do with my time i'm going to read through the bible cover to cover and i read it through and i read it through and i read it through and my heart grows and my passion for teaching this grows because it's a true story that is beautiful what is this book about they claim to know what this book is about. That's an audacious claim. The Word of God, I'm up here saying I know exactly what it's about. And so is Peter. Let's go back to this verse here. Verse 10. This is Peter in his one sentence sum- summary of the Old Testament. Concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. The Old Testament is the biggest chunk of this book. If you don't know what it's about, it's a little confusing and a little daunting to get into this. It is about the grace that was to be yours, to be mine. How so? By a person and a time that God appointed. It is an anticipation. It is the greatest build-up story ever written. Started with Moses, ended with Malachi. And each book leads us closer and closer and closer and closer to a person and a time when grace was going to be ours. Complete, whole, perfect grace. Let's fly through what the Old Testament prophesies. Here's what the Bible says about itself and about the person that it's looking forward to. First book of the Bible is Genesis. Genesis 3.15 says he is going to be born of a woman. Men and women screw up. God says, you guys screwed up. But I'm going to have a seed of the woman, meaning a great-great-great-grandchild of Eve, who's going to come and fix this thing. Prophecy number one. And then as humanity grows, people start to grow. God wants to make sure he narrows it down so that there's no question who God is pointing to. So he picks one man, Abraham. And he says, you, through you, this seed is going to come. So now we've got the people group. We started with Eve. Now we're with Abraham. He is going to be somebody who is related to Abraham. And you can write those verses down. And then just God gets crazy and he says... I'm going to do this through a virgin birth. We hear that so often. And that's crazy. Beyond, I don't know what a word beyond crazy is. It's beyond crazy. A virgin birth. Talking to my boss at work, she always says, how do you believe the Bible? I'm like, well, you read it. She reads it with her partner at times. She, she really likes Jesus. Like you like Jesus, right? Yeah. You believe the stuff he said, yeah? You believe that he rose from the dead, yeah. You can't believe the other stuff then? Coming back from the dead, piece of cake, virgin birth, no way. I you're smarter than I am. It's all crazy. So that we stupid, simple people would know for certain that's somebody who I need to pay attention to. Amen? Amen. We're not that smart. I'm not that smart. Are you smart? Who's going to be the one to... And then he sets it up and he says, Now here's the spot. He'll be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5.2 says he's going to come to the town of Bethlehem. He would be sinless. He would be perfect. There is no deceit found on his lips. Isaiah 53. Early on in his life, he would have to flee to Egypt because King Herod is around. And he wants to kill everybody because he hears that there's a king on the scene. Hosea eleven one in 700 B.C. says that exact thing. My son will come out of Egypt. 400 B.C. The Messiah will enter the temple. Malachi, last book of the Bible. He says, you, my Messiah, will enter the temple. Beautiful. 700 B.C. Isaiah says there's going to be a messenger who leads the way. John the Baptist. 500 B.C. You will enter Jerusalem on a donkey. What's this person look like? What's this person look like? We need grace. We need someone to come in and rescue us. What's he look like? He's coming through Abraham. He's going to come out of a virgin. He's going to ride in on a donkey. God is painting this picture for us to anticipate and to look back on and just glory. He will be betrayed by a friend. David says he'll be betrayed by a friend he eats with. Not only that, the same guy, he'll betray him for 30 pieces of silver virgin birth doesn't get you the fact that 500 years before it happened they said exactly what Judas was going to do 30 pieces of silver not gold not copper silver to a T fulfilled and the prophets are searching and waiting for this to happen he'll be beaten and mocked his clothes will be cast lots will be cast for his clothing he was crucified naked, and they gambled away his clothes. And that was said in 1000 BC. He would be hated and he would be rejected. He would be killed with sinners, Isaiah 53:12 says. Crucified between two criminals. No bones would be broken. He would be forsaken by God. He would die, and he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. Is that convincing enough? I, th- I think so. All of that was said by man being carried along by the Spirit of Christ as they waited, as they wrote, Ezekiel writes, and just anticipating, when is this thing going to be right? I know this temple setup isn't good enough. They used to have to go to the temple and slaughter their goats. And the blood would signify that their sins had been covered. Then they'd release a goat, signifying that, okay, now your guilt and shame is gone with it. And they'd have to do it over and over and over. And the whole time they're writing. And they're seeing little glimpses of this person come up. And what does the New Testament write? First Peter, the next verse there. It was revealed to them, these being the prophets and the apostles, that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good to- news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Old Testament is looking forward to a day and a person. New Testament, here's the person, here's the day. Praise Jesus, amen? But when do the Packers start? Is that all you got, preacher man? virgin prediction and donkey prediction and Packers Monday night we're not enthralled with this let me read this last part and then end on here let me tell you what the angels spend their time doing last part of that verse 12 says things into which angels long to look I get distracted with so many trinkets and shiny things angels for no moment have ever been distracted by trivial stuff because they are peering over into humanity watching souls get saved. Sinful, ungrateful, little pagans like you and me getting saved. Like Alex Hendrickson getting saved. What? That guy? This guy? And the angels are watching it happen. And it says, "They long, they lust for this. This is their desire. My gosh. Two things I think the angels are keenly aware of that get, gets lost in all our distraction. They're watching two things happen. First thing, they're watching the humility of their king on display for an ungrateful bunch. They are there in the beginning. In the beginning, God creates the heavenly Earth. Angel's watching it. My goodness. You did all this? Yes! And now you've created me? Yes! You see that star way over there? I know its name. That star over there? I know its name. See that thing right there? That's Earth. Watch what I'm going to do now. And he breathes life into the first human. And the angels see all of this. And then they start to see the prophecy that God writes himself God, you know you can't save this people from a seed from Eve. Cause that person's gonna be just as screwed up as Adam and Eve. I know. I'm gonna do this. What? You're the king. And you're gonna you're gonna come out of the seed of Abraham? The guy who sold out his wife twice? <laughs> Rookie. That's that's gonna be your lineage? You're gonna point back to some guy who was a coward? Yes. See, as I think about this, I used to play baseball. And one of the greatest joys of playing baseball in my sinful, proud little heart was you got to pick a song that was played as you were walking up to the plate. And that was like my greatest joy. What song is going to display my greatness? So it was Machine Head Bush for a while. It was uh, Crazy Train for a while because it's just got the greatest intro. But as I think about songs that I would have played, if I was Jesus making my mark, making my entrance into this world, I would have ACDC stand up and be counted. And all you people would rise as the drums are hitting, Mike Hagen's back there, and I'm strutting in here, and you guys are just watching how awesome I am. Because what better thing than my awesomeness is there? And God did the exact reverse of that. Watch how humble I'll be in res- rescuing you. He doesn't take a horse, he rides on a donkey. Have you seen Shrek? Those things are worthless. <laughs> do they do anything? And their king gets stripped and he's naked, the creator of all things, bare. And not just bare, bleeding and bruised and slashes across his back and the angels are watching this they're not watching him glory in his greatness they're watching him come down in humility the angels watch that and that's where our worship comes from how great is he how low did he really have to come that's the gap that creates our worship The other thing I think the angels see is just how magnificent salvation really is for ungrateful people like myself. Bible, in a nutshell, Adam and Eve reflect my image. Don't touch this. Everything else, enjoy. What do they do? They screw up. And what should they do in that moment? God, I'm sorry. Stupid mistake. They go and they cover themselves in their shame with their silly little hands. I saw this the other day. Leading students, I had to bring my kid here because he's two and my wife was ready to throw him out of the house. (laughs) So I said, okay, I'll take him. I'm not teaching, I'll watch him. And by watch him, I mean I quarantined him in this room. I said, stay in there. If you get old enough to tell the story, don't tell your mom I did this. Don't move. And I come back like 30 minutes he's in there what does a two-year-old do for 30 minutes who knows and as soon as i walk in the door his hand goes on this piece of furniture that's odd that's really weird and i walk and i get closer and his hand is covering this piece of furniture because underneath is just marker for days just marks and his transgression clear as day you little sinful pagan. <laughs> and that's what Adam did. That's what my son did, because that's what I do. We spend most of our life trying to cover ourselves and not think about the fact that our sin is far greater than this could ever take care of, or religion could ever take care of, or good works, or being a good dad, or being a good mom, or being a hard worker. It's just this in God's eyes. What's God want? The same thing I would want from my son. You see this, Daddy? This is sin. I screwed up. My bad. The only hope I have is that you are really as good and as loving as I think you are. Is he that good? Will he cover everything? Every little taut and jittle, every little marker stain that my son makes up until when he starts sinning big ways? Like, what's a big sin? I don't even know disrespecting his mama, done, looking at females inappropriately, soon to come, pride, it's coming, selfishness, it's here. Every single thing that humanity can spend their time on, no amount of covering is ever going to get covered by what we can do. Here's the gospel, Acts 13, 43, Paul's preaching And he says, And by this man, this man that the prophets talked about, they painted the perfect picture for him so you would see exactly who he was. And the apostles wrote that down and said, Behold the man. There he is. What does this man do for us? Paul says, And by him, everyone who believes in him is freed from everything. Everybody say everything. 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 That's the gospel. I talk to so many people after service, and I never expected this as a preacher. I I don't know what I would expect people coming up to me. It's, you know, my kids kind of messed up. Will you talk to them? Um, Great message. Hey, you look like a loser up there. Thanks, buddy. (laughs) But here's the question I get most often. Are you serious? I had one gal. You really mean that I will never be judged by God just because of what Jesus did? Yes, ma'am. Really? She she cried. Yes, everything is free for those of us who trust Jesus. And those of you who don't, I'll tell you the same thing I tell Warren. You are going to die one day. You're on that path now. You've got lots of stuff that you're trying to cover. God offers everything removed for you. Is that good news? My gosh, that'll preach anywhere. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you take sinners like me, like my wife, like my dad, and you transform us because you open our eyes to the Bible, to the salvation that was started long ago in your mind and has now come to fruition in the person of Jesus Christ. And all you ask is that we would look to him and trust him And we would be freed from everything. Our souls would be saved from this day on. And we could live with that in our rearview mirror. What a glorious life we get to live because of you, God. God, we love you. I love you. I don't love you enough, but you cover that too. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
0: Thanks, brother. Don't let your fire your wood's all wet. (laughs) Well, we're going to take a moment and respond to that incredible truth. And uh, j- just think about what, what, what we just learned. That angels long to look into the salvation we've experienced. And sometimes I just can't help but wonder if angels are more excited about it than we are. And they didn't even experience it. And yet we've experienced it. And, and sometimes people will ask, and we, we celebrate communion here every week. Sometimes someone will say, well, why do you do that every week? And doesn't that get old? And doesn't it get routine and rote? And Well, goodness, I hope not. It never gets old for the angels to wonder at how great God's saving power is. And so it shouldn't get old for us either. And so we want to invite you to respond and to respond in a fresh way with a fresh passion for what the Lord has done for you. And so there's a couple ways that you can respond. First, uh, the band is going to come in just a moment. We want to invite you to respond by singing. Uh, Singing is a way that we always express every culture, every group of people expresses their heart, what they care about, what they love through song. And so we're going to sing songs about the greatness and wonder of God and so we'd invite you to join in with that. We also would invite those of you who are Christians, who are followers of Christ to come to the communion tables and to celebrate communion with us. The the bread of communion uh, represents Jesus body. Uh, he is the bread of life and just like we need bread today, just like we need food today, we need Jesus every day. And so you eat that bread and you remind yourself that if you have him, you have all you need. And, and then you have the cup and the cup The juice of that cup represents the blood of Jesus, as Josh said, was was poured out. God couldn't just look away. A sacrifice had to be made for our sin, and Jesus provided that. He is our substitute. And so as you take that cup and you drink it, you remind yourself that you're covered in Jesus' blood, that he died so you can live. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ, By your own profession, you would just not consider yourself yet a Christian. Uh, We don't want to put pressure on you. We would encourage you actually to not come to the communion table, to not take those elements. It's something hopefully you can do at some point in sincere faith and out of a love that you would have for Christ. And if you're not there yet, then we're glad you're here, uh, but don't feel uh, pressured to do that. For those of you who will take communion, these elements are here in the corners of the room, as well as there by the pole. And uh, we would just invite you to take a few moments and to pray and to think. And when your heart is prepared, you could come in through these center aisles and and get the elements, and then return to your seat. You can take them there, or you can gather with friends and family and take them in the hall if you would want to do that. Uh, the last way we'd invite you to respond is through giving. Uh, the Lord says that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also, and so we give financially, we give of our time and talent and treasure as a way to honor uh, the Lord to make sure he has our first uh, fruits of our heart. And so we would invite you to give uh, the, the giving boxes are there in the back, those mailboxes, and you can uh, drop your gift there and uh, worship the Lord in that way. So I'll give you a few moments of of quiet and, and uh, reflection as the band comes. And then um, when your heart is ready, feel free to respond.